0: Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse number 15. If you're listening to this broadcast on KRVN, we are so grateful to be able to come into your home or wherever you are and minister the Word of God to you. If you are ever in the Red Cloud area, we invite you to come down to the south end of town. Visit us at Revival Tabernacle and our congregation. We'd like to extend to you a warm, hearty welcome at this time. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 First Peter chapter three, verse fifteen. Title of the teaching this morning is What Do You Believe and Why? Verse fifteen. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation or lifestyle in Christ. Now, I want to say that the title itself is fairly clear as a question. What do you believe and why? All of us have different beliefs. Some of us have similar beliefs about different topics. But when you engage in a conversation with someone, you should be able to explain what it is that you believe and why you believe it. And I want to encourage you to be able to explain what you believe from the Bible. If the Bible is the foundational text of your life, then the Bible should be the basis for what you believe. And as a Christian, that means we want to be like Christ. And since Jesus believed in the inspired Word of God, we should believe in the inspired Word of God, and there should be no other set of writings, no other document, no other person or group of people that have greater influence in your life than the people that wrote this book. And you'll find that very oftentimes if you converse with people, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's something a social issue, political issue, physical issue, it's surprising the number of people who parrot what other people have told them without ever really delving into why they believe what they believe. I can tell you why I believe what I believe, because of the Bible. And in this church, through the years, whether it's the little pamphlet we've had in the back with our What We Believe statement, or whether it's just a person listening to the Sunday morning messages, or the midweek Bible studies, we have always been very clear about what we believe, and have stayed right down the center of the path that God has called us to. We haven't deviated. Some churches have. Some people believe one thing for a season, then they shift and go into another particular direction. But I can tell you right now, I still believe today what I believe about the blood of Jesus the day I became a Christian. I haven't changed. I still believe of the importance of fellowship, and I believe in Jesus' death on the cross. None of that has ever changed. But for all of us, we should be able to give an explanation of what we believe. So look at verse 15 again. It says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That is where God dwells when you become a Christian and you place faith in him. He comes to take up residence in your heart. Your heart becomes his throne. Now, there are a lot of different things in your heart, a lot of different affections. If you're married, there's a place in your heart for your spouse. Your children, you may really love where you live, there's a place in your heart for where you reside. You may actually love your job, and if you do, that's good too. There's a place in your heart for your job, but all of those things are different than sanctifying the Lord God in your hearts. he's saying paul Peter is saying, there should be a special place in your heart for God, and God should occupy a realm. In governing your life, that no one else does, and you've got to go out of your way to make sure that you make it so. If if you have someone who comes to to visit you, then it's likely you'll probably prepare room for them, prepare place for them to stay, and you go in there and if you got common sense, you go in there and change the sheets, and, and you go in there and make it nice and clean it up and then they'll come and they'll be happy to be there, and then they'll probably be pleased to come back and stay again. And it's, it's this kind of a circumstance we should have in our relationship with God. We have invited him in because he was knocking at the door of our heart. and when we invited him in, we should have prepared for him and continue to prepare for him a special place. Father, you are number one in our hearts and in our lives. And I don't ever want anyone to have a place that is even equal to what I've given you. Not my kid, not my grandkid, not my neighbor, not my spouse, but to have God first and love him first. So what does it mean then to sanctify the Lord God in your heart? Separate him from anything else that you have affections for. You may love sports. You may love entertainment. But those things can never be and should never be as important to you as God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So then he goes on, and he talks about us always being ready to give an answer. So readiness, of course, has to do with preparedness. The Scripture says, study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that rightly divides the word of God. The, the way to keep from being ashamed to give an answer is to have an answer that you can give confidently. You've probably seen people before, if someone asks them to pray at the family meal or pray at the beginning of a service, they don't have confidence to do so, so they're ashamed to do it. So they'd rather have somebody else do it. But you know, you should have confidence in your relationship with God and know how to pray well enough to pray at the Thanksgiving meal, to open up a service or pray over a Sunday school or pray at a game or lead a team in prayer or lead your family in prayer. How do I become prepared? Read the book. The book teaches you how to pray. And kids should have memories of mom and dad praying for them out loud where they can hear. And grandkids should have memories of their grandparents praying for them out loud They should know what that is. And you should be ready and prepared at all times in the way you get prepared again is we come back to the book because this is the foundation upon which we build our lives. What does the book say? Be ready always. Not sometimes, not a few times, not most times, not many times, but be ready always to give an answer. So if I ask one of the ladies in here, how would you bake one of your Cakes that your family members love. You could tell me easily. If I asked Albert how he makes his biscuits and gravy, he could rattle it off without ever having to even think about it. Because he does it all the time. Now, if I ask Brother Winslow back there how to make some biscuits and gravy, then the conversation's gonna be quite short. Yeah. And, and and there wouldn't be any confidence and him giving an answer uh, unless he just decided to just make up a recipe as he was going along. But still there's no confidence because what you're saying isn't necessarily true. So you should have a life built on the book in such a way that you know what exactly you're saying when you're describing salvation, why the Bible is important, how you became a Christian, what God did in your life and is constantly doing in your life. All of this is important. So let's move further then. Be ready always to give an answer. The Greek word that's underlying our English word answer is the word defense. Be willing and able to give a defense. Can you defend what you believe? If somebody asks you, why do you believe that Christianity is the only true religion on the planet? Could you defend what you believe? You should be able to. Jesus said, if anybody comes to the Father, they have to come through me. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He had preached the gospel of the kingdom, so he never at one time or any time said, go into all the world and preach another religion. And there were plenty of religions in his day, so we should be able to defend why we believe Christianity is the only true faith. He said, Well, Pastor, there are a lot of sincere people on this planet. Sincerity doesn't evidence truthfulness. It just simply means that an individual has a lot of emotion attached to what they believe. So I'm being sincere in what I say to you when I tell you that as a Christian, it's important for you to know what you believe and to be able to explain what you believe. You should be able to explain to someone why you believe marriage is between a a guy and a gal. And you should understand what the Scripture says about that. If someone asks you, "Is, is abortion wrong, the taking of the life of a child, you should know enough Scripture in here to be able to explain why you believe what you believe in Ecclesiastes, for anybody who wants to know, in Ecclesiastes, here's what it says about the, the, the birth of, of, of a baby, or I should say the growth and development of a baby in a mother's womb. Number one, throughout the Bible, when someone is pregnant, they're said to be with child. So it's a baby inside that mom. Over and over again. God's, God's conception and belief is that it's a child. And then in Ecclesiastes, it said it is God that causes the bones of a baby to grow and develop in a mother's womb. God causes that. Not, not mom and dad. God causes that. So God is the source of life and He's the origin of the growth and the development. And we've got to be very cautious about stances that we take where we, you know, like we we live our lives like we lived when I was in high school. The, The school that I went to on the west side of Cleveland, Ohio, down the street, we had a Planned Parenthood. And the girl could leave first period, go down to Planned Parenthood, lose the baby, and be back by sixth period. That is not the plan of God for 13, 14, 15, 16 year old gals. It's not the plan of God. But my belief is founded not on the culture and not on the arguments of people who say things like it's about rights and it's not a child or something like that. It's not even a founded in a political idea. It's founded on what the book says. So you should be able to explain. Why you believe. Now, understand, if if you give some of the explanations that I give, that doesn't mean people are going to be pleased. But at least they still have an idea why you believe what you believe. And if they want to argue with someone, you can tell them, argue with the man upstairs. He's the one that wrote the book. It was here long before I was born. You should be able to explain why you believe that it is essential for a person to walk in love. The Bible teaches that. Yeah, he that walks in love doesn't stumble. Love your neighbor see, as you love yourself. Well, let me give you a couple of things that are worth looking at. And if you go to Acts chapter 26, you can see where Paul is asked to explain what he believes. Acts chapter 26. Verse number 1, Agrippa the king says to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Because he wanted to hear why Paul had been arrested for being a Christian. And Paul begins in verse 4 giving a testimony of how he was raised from his youth about his life in Jerusalem amongst the Jews. By the time you get to verse 9, he's given his testimony of how he persecuted Christians that loved Jesus and he was putting them in jail. You can read further in verse 12 where he was going to Syria in order to arrest Christians because they believed in Jesus. He was so angry at people that they had faith in God. He continues, his testimony goes through verses 25, but notice where Paul says in verse number 27, he says to King Agrippa in a question, Don't you believe the prophets? He was half Jewish. I know that you believe. And Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost you persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but everybody else that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am, except without these chains or handcuffs. So he gave his testimony, he gave his witness, he gave a defense, he provided an answer to the king regarding what he believed, and the king said, having heard everything you said, I'm almost there. But you know as well as I do, almost there isn't the same as being there. It's not the same as being there. You you can be almost married, but not married. When you would take your kids on a trip when they were smaller and and you're driving and they're in the back seat and they're asking you every seven minutes, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How How much longer before we're there? And then you explain to them, we'll be there in 20 minutes, 18 minutes later. Are we there yet? Almost there isn't there. You can almost make it to heaven and still end up in hell. Yeah. So as as Agrippa said, almost you persuaded me to be a Christian. So what Paul was doing was working to persuade people. And this is the whole point of preaching the gospel, to work to persuade people to believe the Bible and to stand on the word of God. And anybody who tries to talk to you about the scripture who's opposed to it, then their objective is to try to persuade you not to believe the Bible. Yeah. When you turn on the television and you watch news programs, and it doesn't matter who you're watching. Every one of those journalists and reporters, they're on that show because they want to change or orient your thinking to theirs. That's the whole point of that. That's why they show the pictures they show, to elicit emotion. I mean, they show you them pictures of them folks down at the border. They look like 10,000 of them are marching across. And everybody's coming into America. And the whole point of that is to, to, to stir up emotions inside of those that are watching so that they won't be pleased with it. Yeah. I'm not up there telling you I'm, I'm for illegal immigration. I'm just telling you that behind everything there's a motivation. There's a motivation. And as a Christian, then, when I stand to minister the word of God, the point of every opportunity I have to share the gospel is to make sure I lift up Jesus Christ and him alone and that every person listening to me, when they walk away, they will not walk away saying, well, I couldn't figure out what he was trying to say. I want it to be clear, direct, and so that no one walks away saying, well, it sounded to me like he was saying that Christianity and Buddhism are on equal terms. Oh, no, I'm not. There's only one path of salvation, there's only one way to reach God, and the Bible teaches this, and everybody who preached the gospel in the book of Acts and afterwards preached one way of salvation, and that was Jesus Christ. They didn't preach two, they didn't preach three, You say, well, I I think because I've got people in my family that that have uh, faith and other religions and, and, and disagree with me. I just don't think we ought to hold fast to a belief that says Christ is the only way. I'm not preaching you. I'm not preaching your opinion. And you're not called to testify to your family member's opinion. If you are a Christian and you say he's your Lord, you are to tell what the book says. You don't make up your own story. Because once you start making up your own story, you've got to create your own facts. And then you've got to create your own evidence to justify what you believe. What do you believe and why? Have you gone to college or university and people told you why you shouldn't believe what you believe? We had a kid out of this church many years ago, went to college, and contacted me and said, Pastor, what what should I do about this. I said, Well what's the problem? They said, Well I went to my philosophy class, the philosophy teacher got up and said, How many of you were raised in a, a town of a thousand people or less or something like that? Just about ninety some percent of the hands went up. Said, How many of you in this in this class, this this auditorium, went to church when you were kids and were raised in church, most of the hands, went up how many of you were taught that Christianity was the only way? Of course, again, hands went up. And then that philosophy teacher told everybody in that class, I'm going to demonstrate and prove to you during this semester that all of that is a superstition and a lie. Now, can you imagine mothers and fathers sending their kids to a college or university and paying a professor to teach them that, paying them to say that what mom and dad taught you all your life was a lie? So you got hundreds of them sitting out there. And so the young, young student asked me, so what should I do? I said, I'll tell you exactly what you do. Make sure your mom and dad get you some of our CDs and you listen to them throughout that school year. Or transfer. But, but if, you, if, if, you, if you have some word coming in you that gives you the ability to grapple with a culture that is antagonistic toward the word of God, you can remain strong in your faith regardless of what takes place. I encounter a lot of different beliefs and a lot of different people, some influential, some not so influential, some that are wealthy, some that are not wealthy, but all of them have ideas, and usually when they're talking to me, I come right back to quoting something in this book because what I believe is not something I made up on my own. Let's go to the third book of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 18. Again, I want you to see that you should build your life upon what the Word of God says and not be intimidated by what other people say. So in Leviticus 18 and 19, these are many of the laws that have to do with morality and some ceremonial Laws, But notice, beginning with verse 2 in Leviticus 18, speak to the children of Israel and say unto them. And now he's going to give them a whole lot of information. He says in verse 3, I don't want you to do what they did in the land of Egypt where you once lived. You should not do that, nor shall you do what they're doing in the land of Canaan where you presently are. Again, We are in this world but not of this world as Christians. We are planted here as salt and light to be different, to be distinct, and to live separately. Now, that doesn't mean gas for you is cheaper than anybody else that doesn't know God. And bread isn't cheaper for you as a Christian than it is for somebody who's a sinner. But what it does mean is your life and the way you rear your kids and live in your marriage should be different than people who have no covenant with God. Your perspective and your outlook should be different. This is what the Lord is saying to Israel, bringing them out of Egypt. He said, where you come from, I don't want you to act like them. Now you're living in the midst of a lot of other people. I don't want you to act like them. You take my laws and you allow your life, to gravitate around my laws. So this is why Peter is able to say, be ready to give an answer. So let's see what what the scripture says here. In verse 6, none of you shall approach anyone who's near of kin to uncover his nakedness. That is to say, your family members, you should not see them without a tire on, naked. He's saying that's a bad thing, It's not a good thing what he's saying okay verse 7 he, he said you shouldn't see the nakedness of your mom and dad oh no oh my that would drive me crazy better believe it so he says you sh- shouldn't do that okay uh, notice coming down a little bit further he says in verse 12 and, and we could go through every verse but this is not necessary you, you shouldn't even uncover the nakedness of your auntie okay. or your uncle no Look at verse number 18. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. You, you can't even get involved with polygamy here. It's talking about it there? Verse 20. You shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. That's adultery. How many of you know adultery is still wrong? had not changed. Now, what we're going to look at in the next couple of chapters, I can also take you and show you in the New Testament, it says the same thing. It says the same thing in the New Testament. So we all understand that adultery is not a good thing. There was a time, not presently, but there was a time where they had laws on the books in America where you couldn't commit adultery. And they had one, one lady, I think somewhere in the South, that actually sued another woman and won because the other woman took her husband. Now, you can't do that now. But, but here's what I'm getting at. Just because something is not a crime in society doesn't mean it's not a sin in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it, can, it can be a sin in the kingdom of God, but not be a crime in society. Everybody in the culture can say, well, that's not so bad. But for us that live with God and have a covenant with God, we have to say, that is bad. That is bad. Let's move on. Verse 21, you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. So you can't take the name of God in vain, says that here. And we know as a Christian, you still shouldn't take the name of the Lord in vain. That's a sin for us. It's not a crime in society. Nobody's going to arrest anybody for saying Jesus' name as a substitute test word. But you know as well as I do, we shouldn't do that. In ancient times, you were not supposed to take your infants or your toddlers or your teenagers and offer them to the god Malak and allow them to be killed. How did they do that? Well, Molech was a god that required an altar, and people would literally take a baby, put it up there, set it on fire, and take its life. This is why I've told you that when it comes to little people, the young people, God is interested in preserving them, not taking their life. See? This is how we know this from the scripture. And the principle of this is even in the New Testament. Let's move on. Verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is what? An abomination. So here again, we have something that's no longer a crime in society, but is a sin in the ancient kingdom of Israel, and it's still a sin in the church because of Romans chapter 1, which says we should not let it happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which says it should not happen. And, of course, Matthew 19, Jesus says, Have you not read that he that made them in the beginning, he's quoting Genesis, which says Jesus believes in Genesis. He believes in God the Father. Have you not read in the beginning that he that made them made them male and what? Female. How many genders are that? No, two. So we don't have 26. We don't have 27. It doesn't matter if somebody calls themselves non-binary, whatever, binary, whatever, okay? All I know is we got men and women, and this is how God made us. This is how he designed it, and even though the laws say something different, that doesn't change the kingdom of God. We say, well, Pastor, how do you handle it when you go into a prison or school or something like that? I abide by the laws of the land. That's what I do. I go into a school. I don't go into the school preaching the way I'm preaching from the pulpit. But everybody knows I'm a pastor when I go into a school or go into a prison, and if someone asks me my personal opinion, you're going to get what the Bible says. But in interacting with people, you you, you can't, you know, you've you got to walk in love. When I was in the Marine Corps, they had the whole don't ask, don't tell thing. So that means you could be gay and nobody was supposed to come out of the closet and you weren't supposed to know. Now, I did seven years in the Marine Corps. I never even met a person in the Marine Corps that was gay. But I imagine somewhere there probably was somebody who was in that light shot. I never met them. Had I met them, the only thing I would have did was my job every day. There never would have been one occasion where I would have asked a man about his husband. I wouldn't have asked about his home life. I wouldn't ask asked about anything. The only thing that would have concerned me was the job at hand. That's it. Then I don't have to engage in all of that. Well, it's the same for you. You don't have to engage in anything you don't want to engage in. You have to do your job and be productive and be honorable and be a person of integrity, but you do not have to promote, nor do you even have to approve, of the lifestyles of people that you work with. Now, we're just working on this particular topic because that's the verse, but think about it this way. If you worked with somebody that you knew was cheating on their spouse and you didn't approve of that, you wouldn't go around making it plain to them that you're happy about what they're doing if you didn't approve of it. No, you would not. Let's go to verse 23. Nor shall you mate with an animal or defile yourself with it. No, shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. That's obvious. I will say nothing further. Go to chapter 19. We know that the Scripture is clear that we as believers should not participate in witchcraft, black magic, sorcery and things like that, but let's just see what some scripture says. Verse four, do not turn to idols nor make for yourselves molding gods. That's that's simple. It says that in the New Testament. Don't create your own God. Now somebody may say to you, Well, I don't find that offensive. Doesn't matter. Stay with what the book says. Live your life according to what the book says. If you move further, it says in verse 11, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie one to another. All of that's in the New Testament. The reason you should be able to give a reasonable explanation for what you believe is because what you believe should be founded upon Scripture. Scripture. There is not a sentence in the Bible. There's not a paragraph in the Bible. There's not a phrase in the Bible that says anything positive about witchcraft or adultery or homosexuality or stealing or lying or incest. Not a sentence, not a paragraph. You won't find it anywhere in the Scripture. And even if there's a shift in society, In society's thinking, where they begin to determine, we don't believe this particular activity is bad anymore, then here's my question. Why do you get to choose what activities are good and bad? And if you get to make the choice, how do I know pretty soon you won't say that stealing isn't so bad? Well, if you don't think that people are already moving in that direction, I think it's in California and maybe in Chicago where you can take and rob a store up to $1,000 you won't be prosecuted. Now imagine that there are 100 young people that decide to go into a store and 100 people each take $999 worth of goods. What's the sense in the police arresting them? You can't even prosecute them so the police don't arrest them. If the laws are going to say that it's okay, what's the sense in bringing it up? But for us in the kingdom of God, I'm saying it again, just because it's not a crime in society, it still can be a sin in the kingdom of God. So we shouldn't lie. Not because you're going to be arrested, but because you'll be convicted by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will cause you to feel bad about that. Well, let's look at just a couple of more here before we go back to First Peter. He says in verse sixteen, "You shall not go about as a talebearer—that's the old English word for gossip—nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor." I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. See? You can find all of that in the New Testament. And then there's one more that I want us to see. Look at verse 28 and 29. This was all religious stuff in verse 28, why he told them not to be like the Egyptians. Don't make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. Because in ancient times, they did that as magical signs for their bodies when they they thought they would die and their bodies would go into the other world. They put the markings on there. So the Lord said to the Israelites, you don't want to go down that road. And then verse 29, you would think this would be obvious. Don't prostitute your daughter. And I'm going to say, or oh, your son, and cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry. I can tell you right now, I've got plenty of people that are in World Ministry Fellowship, that Tiffany and I are part of, that work in the sex trafficking industry. And you'd be surprised the number of parents that sell their kids for drugs. And the number of parents who pimp their children out and let one man after another, one woman after another, come into the home and have physical relations with their child so that the parents can have drugs. God said don't do that. Don't do that. Now now here, here here's what some of the arguments are today when people talk about a few of these things, and you can go back to 1 Peter now. Uh, they'll say, well, you know, people who are doing some of these things out in the streets and standing on the corners. Uh, they, they don't want to be there, and, and uh, it's not their fault. So, so everything today has come to be where nobody's a victim, and nobody's responsible for their actions. But I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. There was a whole section of town in Cleveland called Prospect Avenue, and my parents were very smart in letting me know, just like all my friends knew, that's an area of town you do not go to after 9 p.m. Because that's when you see all the people walking the streets, and you see the cars pulling up. And whether they had a pimp or was working for themselves, they were out there on the streets because of their own choices. Their own choices. And, and so long as a society says to people, you're not responsible for your actions, then they have no reason to feel any grief for what they're doing. But I want you to understand that as a Christian, our, our role has to maintain the position of the Bible. In Nevada, prostitution is legal. But just because it's legal in the culture, that doesn't mean it's not a sin in the kingdom of God. You understand that? Be be willing to give an explanation for what you believe. Now the last thing I want you to see is that in 1st Peter 3 and 15, it tells us the attitude we should have in offering our explanation. It says, "A reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Meekness being humility, fear being a reverence for God. I have a greater fear of God than I have of the mayor. I have a greater fear of God than I have of the governor. My fear of God is greater than my fear of the president because none of them can condemn my soul to hell. I've got to stand with what the book says. He said, well, pastor, what if all of the people you just named stand up publicly and condemn you for what you believe? Let them stand up and condemn me. Let them stand up and condemn you. All of them will stand before God like I will. And like you will, we will give an account for the deeds done in our body. Well, notice chapter 1 of First Peter, and notice what it says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a lively hope. So here are three reasons, three proofs, Three things you can use when you are humbly submitting your explanation for why you believe what you believe. Number one, because the Bible says so. That's the first thing. The reason I won't do that, the reason I don't believe that, the reason I cannot support that, I cannot endorse that, is because the Bible says I cannot. And you see a lot of kids getting in trouble in their classroom because sometimes the teachers want them to do things that, in their conscience, they don't want to do. And this is where parents and churches have to be strong enough to step up and come to bat for their kids and say, look, I, they don't want to do it, and here's what the Bible teaches. They shouldn't have to do it. Even if everybody, faculty, administration are trying to push it down their throat, they, they don't want to do it. And it's there's no scripture, why should they have to? So that's your first defense. The Bible says, and I've got to stand with what the Bible says. The second thing If you're a Christian and you're born again and God has changed your heart, you have an inward assurance by the Spirit of God that says to you the Bible is true. You have an inward witness that lets you know the Bible is true. And I know that they'll say that's just a subjective feeling that you have. Call it whatever you want. But I know inside when I read the book, everything in me says that's true, just like he said. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. But, Pastor, everybody else says everything just evolved from a big bang, and it was evolution. What do you believe? I believe what Genesis 1 says. That's what I believe. That's my inward conviction from the Word of God. If Jesus believed in Genesis, I believe in Genesis. So I don't care anything about what people call The science, because I know the science is constantly fluctuating and they can't even make up their mind. Put a mask on because it's going to help you. Somebody else comes along and says, well, the mask don't work. I'll stick with something that I know is eternal and doesn't change. Get the vaccine, you won't get get COVID. Some people took the vaccine, 19 booster shots, had COVID four more times. Rather than just following the opinions of people, find what the book says, have some conscience about yourself and make a decision and stand on the basis of it and don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. If you took the shot, fine, praise the Lord. If you didn't take the shot, fine, praise the Lord. But don't spit your family up because folks on television are telling you to do so. Stand on the word of God and believe what the scripture says. And as Peter said, with meekness and fear of God, submit your explanation. Yeah. And then the last thing here, if Jesus is alive, we have a lively hope. Because we're born again, we're kept by the power of God, we're still in verse 3, through faith unto salvation. We're preserved. One day Christ is going to come. One day he's going to come. And when we stand before Him, we want to be ready. Don't be ashamed of what you believe. Don't be ashamed. And if, if people come to you with arguments that are contrary to Scripture and, and they try to give you all kinds of proofs and evidences why you shouldn't follow an old antiquated book like this, but you ought to stick with what they're saying on the view or what they're saying on C. NBC or Fox News or Newsmax or CNN or whatever it is that everybody's watching, you should be able to come back to what the Bible says and say, here is my foundation. Because the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new. You turn on one of them channels, you're trying to enjoy Andy Griffith and trying to just laugh with Barney Fife. Then it goes off, and here comes the commercial. And then you got four or five guys dressed in drag queen outfits walking down the aisle through the commercial. Well, that would be enough of that. See? And the Bible already says a guy shouldn't wear that that pertains to a lady. So I already know I'm not supposed to endorse that. But Pastor, you just got to love and promote, and you've got to affirm people. That's a lie. I have to affirm the Bible, the Bible. And when you affirm the Word of God, then that's fine. All this other stuff, again, I come in contact with people. I just talk to them, have conversations. I don't affirm anything. I don't promote it. I don't endorse it. I don't make it seem like I condone it. I let them know there's a love for God in my heart for them and a love for my Father for them, but if they ever ask me my opinion, it's a sin. And the Bible is not going to change just because you don't like the fact that I say it's a sin. It'll be the same tomorrow morning. Amen? Let's stand. We have challenges today. Our our kids who are in public school, in university settings, Even in some situations, home, schools, coming in contact with different people, we have to consider what we believe. And I hope this message, if it doesn't, if it does anything, I hope it causes you to really think about what you believe and why you believe it. And if somebody were to ask you, why do you believe? Do you have some answers that are grounded in Scripture? Where you're just gonna become emotional, angry, shout and yell at people because you just think you're right. If you have the book behind you, you don't have to be emotional. You can just say, Here's what the Bible says. Yeah. It's very important to know that. Because when when questions arise and they will arise, you should have an answer and you've got to talk to your neighbors and your family members and your grandkids and your kids, and when you're having these discussions, prepare yourself for the kind of questions you may not have ever thought you would even have to answer. And if there's something you can share with them out of that Bible, you'll feel better later knowing you've grounded them in Scripture rather than just simply saying, just go with what everybody else is telling you. Yeah, that's not good at all. But let's just take a few moments and just worship our wonderful God, our lovely God. Father, we praise you today. We honor you this morning on this day. God, you've been wonderful to all of us. And we stand here in your presence with an awesome respect and fear because your word is true. And we honor you, Lord. We worship you because you're good, you're lovely, you're faithful, you're a jealous God. You don't want to share your glory with anyone. And, Father, regardless of what anyone says about your Bible and our our testimony and walking with you, we love you and we praise you. Oh, God, help each one of us to be strong in our faith. Fill our hearts with wisdom. Put your words in our mouth so that we can give an explanation regarding what we believe. Help us to do it humbly, oh God. Help us to do it in the fear of the Lord. Help us, oh God, to be strong witnesses in this valley. When up and down this valley, oh God, there's everything from alcoholism and other kinds of sins, oh God. People addicted, oh God, abused, abusing a variety of different substances. Help us, O oh God, to be able to set the captives free, Lord. Oh God, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. We thank you, O oh God, and praise your mighty name. Preserve our testimonies. Preserve our marriages, God. Let our let our wives continue to be in love with their husbands and vice versa, God. Let our children be submissive to their parents. Let them be raised in the fear and the admonition of the Word of God. And when we come here to the house of God, Lord, let our fellowship be sweet. Let our relationships be deep and and lasting, O God. And help us, O God, to reach out to one another when we have questions or need help, Lord. We love you and we praise you, Almighty God. Oh, Jesus, we thank you, God. What a Savior, what a Savior, what a Savior, what a Savior, what a Savior. Thank you, God. It's good to know the King, folks. Good to know the King. Amen. It's good to know the King, to have a relationship with Him.